Shareable is part of C-Suite Radio. say that season two is going to be absolutely incredible because in season two i have a co-host co-host say hello hello that's caroline she's now my co-host so season two of shareable is going to be a little bit different we're still talking about people and technology but we're going to go a little bit deeper a master class so grab your favorite pen and your favorite piece of paper and get ready to take some notes because this is shareable Welcome back to Shareable. My name's Jeff Gibbard, and I'm here with my co-host... Caroline Tassone. That's right. That's right. Today, we're really excited. A very, very, very close friend of mine, Mike Ganino, <laughs> is, is on the podcast. And uh, I'm really effing excited for you to be here, man. What up? What is up? I'm so We're so close that you even know my middle name. That's how close we are. I believe your middle name is Improv, or at least that's what you're changing it to. That's going to be – I'm heading straight down to the courthouse after this. As soon as we're done with this show, right to the courthouse. Pixar didn't happen, just saying. I like I like the idea of that. Mike Improv Ganino. And my, my, my nickname can be Midge. Yeah. yeah. I like it. All right. So uh, – Tell the people who you are and what you do, and and humble brag it up, man. I don't want you. I don't want to hear any of this humbleness uh, going on. I want you to really just drop the hammer on people, like the hammer of Thor. The hammer of Thor. That's good. I like that. So, um, yeah, humility is not my middle name. Improv is. So, so there you go. <laughs> I, uh, you know, for for twenty years, I was in the restaurant industry, and at the same time, was uh, trying to become an actor. Uh, which is the normal way people get into the restaurant industry, I think, is is through acting. And the acting it, industry. Through the yeah. restaurant industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I acted my way I acted my way straight to the top. I eventually became a uh, an executive of a fast casual brand and sold that. And then I said, What do you do after you do all of that? And uh, since then I've I've taken myself back to acting and and thought about what did I learn in business for 20 years? What did I learn about building teams and providing experiences and and being you know, an executive, what did I, uh, what did I learn in there and how can I use the skills of improvisational theater to help other people learn it? Because, uh, when I sat down and had an existential crisis in 2014, after selling the restaurant company that I was an owner in and a partner in, I realized that the key to success was really about how we communicate and whether that was with customers or employees, the board, you know, fundraising, venture capitalists, the secret to success was all about how we communicate. And so that's what I do these days is I travel around and I, I work with companies and leaders and individuals to help them communicate better, whether that's through company culture, coming up with you know values and, and things to stick on the wall and then turn those things into real life stuff for the brand, or whether I work individually with, with executives and leaders on how they communicate with uh, public speaking coaching. And so I do all of those things. And uh, if I'm going to brag about it, I got I got the cred to do that because I've studied at uh, Second City Chicago Improv Olympic. I work with uh, Michael and Amy Port through Heroic Public Speaking as one of the performance faculty members. And, uh, you know, I worked with, with big companies like Uber and Chow Now and U.S. Foods and all kinds of people helping them connect and work better together. 
Dude, I think you're really cool. I, I mean, I, I that's a really that's one of the better from, from one friend to another. From one friend to another. That, that's one of the better uh, humble brag intros that we've heard here. It, it's almost as if you are uh, gifted in the art of improv, uh, or maybe you've just done that a number of times. Um, <laughs> if you go around and listen to all the podcasts, you'd be like, "Wait, he does this." It's the exact same, same one, and no, he no, even no. said that part about it. If I'm gonna brag about it, ah. Um, <laughs> So I, I often reflect back on my days of – because you know how you get to own an agency is that you start in the restaurant industry. I, I think everything really starts in the restaurant industry. And when I look back on it, I think the only reason I'm any good at sales at all is because I was a damn good waiter, honestly. Mm. I think that being a server for me was like one of the, the keys to my ability to have hustle, to be able to uh, communicate with people. But I, I fervently agree with you about how important communication is uh, in business and in all ways. I think it's cool that you've taken the improv approach. You know, some people, you know, they, they take their uh, particular brand of leadership or whatever they do. I think improv is a really unique angle. So I'm excited to hear more about it in this episode. So if we were going to help an audience of one in this episode, uh, and you had to pick who you wanted to help most, who you wanted to educate and drop some knowledge on for this episode. Who do you think they would be? What Describe them as best you can. Perfect. Yeah. So her name is Lisa and she's got um, brown hair, but not like dark brown, not like a not like a dark brunette, but more like a like a light brown, like a Jennifer Aniston brown. Got it. OK. Um, Visualize it perfectly. But it's wavy. It's not as straight as she's got that like it's wavy. It's not classic thing. gen cut. Yeah, no, it's not. She's she's gone a divergent path here. So, <laughs> you know, who I who I think this this is really for, uh, you know, the things that Lisa might have that other people have is this really strong desire to to be a great uh, manager, to be a great, you know. And here's the thing: I'm going to take a little detour here. I'm cool with that. People talk about leadership and management as if they're like these two separate things. I say, like, you know, screw that. I was going to say something else, but I don't know if we're doing. Explicit, explicit. You can be explicit. Can we just have okay. to market as explicit. So, so here, right, let me help. Do it. Fuck. I'm going to be. We have yeah, a regular be... brand dominatrix on this show. Yeah. So you oh can say whatever gosh. you want. Gosh. Okay. Cool. So I say fuck that. Like <laughs> the idea is that it's the same thing. You're talking about how do I become a killer boss? How do I become a manager or a leader or whatever you supervisor? I don't care what you call yourself. You're in charge of getting things done through other people. That's the same job to me. And so this is for this information is for Lisa, who is trying to find ways to connect. She's reading the books. She's, she's, uh, you know, adopted the, the values, put them into the handbook, covers them in orientation, and then still wakes up every day and is like, this isn't, this isn't it. This isn't the way I connect. This isn't the way that I, I should be leading my team. So whether Lisa's running a huge agency or a small one, or she runs a restaurant group or a hotel chain or, or sits in the government, this is for somebody who says there is a deeper way to connect at work, and I want to find a way to have that relationship. And it's not about some specific framework or, or you know, toolkit that you've got to go find and buy. It's about changing the way you think. And this is for you, Lisa. So this show goes out to Lisa. <laughs> Shout out to Lisa. That's the title of the episode. Shout out to Lisa. This I feel like Mariah Lisa. Carey. I think it's great. I think right now it's like I want to be like – Ladies and gentlemen, in 99.xfm, this one is for you, Lisa. 
outstanding. Well, okay, so you don't have a specific framework or structure or anything like that. So how how do we go about creating some sort of a structure to educate Lisa on how she can be better at her job and better communicate whether she calls herself a supervisor or a leader or a manager and whether she ever decides to put some curls at the bottom of her hair because we like curls. Yes, I'm, I'm we in love for it. any hair change that Lisa goes for. That I just want to put that on the record. I love it. And I especially love if Lisa becomes a mom and does a mom bob, then that's very good. Oh. It's very on brand. So, so, so yeah. So, I, you know, in a way I'm, I'm, I'm like the worst. Somebody told me this. They're like, you're the worst thought leader. Cause you say, don't buy books and don't do this. And then you're writing a book and you teach framework. So how can you do that? But, but the, the thing here is that I don't think any of this stuff is in a book because you actually have to, there's not something you can just go take and do. It's not like, here's the mad libs version of connecting better with your employees, your customers, with your board, with your colleagues, whoever it is. It's about learning where connection comes from and having the self-awareness to say, okay, how do I keep checking myself on this? And that becomes a lifelong lesson. Like you have to tune in with that all the time. So what I would do to help Lisa is to say, this is about listening and about listening not only to the other people you're speaking to, it's about listening when they're speaking, obviously, as well, but also listening to yourself and understanding this. My, my way in with helping people think about, you know, the, the idea of improv and how it helps at work, because people get scared of this. Like, you know, you say improv and they're like, oh, my gosh, we're going to do trust falls and pretend to be clowns. And yes, we are going to do those things. Yes. Um, and <laughs> yes. No, no, no. We might not do those things. I don't know. Clowns scare me. So I'm not I'm not into clowns. And I'm, I have horrible hand eye coordination. So the trust fall thing doesn't work for me Just either. Awkward. <laughs> yeah. My approach to to using and I think my approach is different than a lot of the folks who come strictly from the improv theater world who've never really been in industry, have never been an executive, because I understand that you have to have an immediate ROI, that you have to really say there is clear value in this. And this isn't just about being silly. And then you go back to work and you're like, well, what the hell do I do with bill and accounting? Because I don't know how to play a game where he's my he's my sister and I'm his, you know, his twin and, and we're at a bakery. Like, what do I do with that? And so that's fun. But I think people struggle with what to do when they go back to work. So the way I frame it is that we are victims of this default thinking. Um, as humans, we we need default thinking. It protects us a lot from things that have happened before. And we say, oh yeah, this looks like the last time that happened. So I can save a couple steps because I remember what worked before. You know, you see a big scary animal with teeth and you know, I should run. You don't have time to stop and think and say, wait a second, that animal's orange with a big mane and it's got teeth and it's snarling and running at me. I wonder what it is. You responded to that. Like at some point, I don't know if we were chased by lions, but at some point something chased us and we learned about default thinking that it could help us to have these paradigms to play with it. The issue is that we often go to work or we get on stage as public speakers or we show up to the boardroom to give a presentation and we've not thought about the default thinking. We've not said, wait, is my thinking actually, is, is it actually right? Is this group of people actually, do they actually want to attack me? Uh, does this group of employees, are they actually entitled and whiny or is there something else at play here? And so that default thinking is so dangerous. And so how I use improvisational theater at work is to help people understand that the default thinking is wrong and to remind them that they can create space to check their beliefs, to check that default thinking and make a different decision. And so that's where the improv training comes in is helping people take a step back and say, 
wait a second, I, I have a choice here. Is this actually true that, you know, one of the ones I was just writing, I'm writing a book and I just wrote this section in the book about beliefs, which is essentially default thinking. So it is, it is not a healthy belief, and I hear this a lot in organizations, to say there's no good talent these days, right? And we hear millennials or Gen Zs, and you could go all the way back to Socrates, and people, old people were complaining about young people. Like, that's what we do. Like, old people and young people don't get each other, and they just complain about each other. And that goes back forever. It's not new. It's not just millennials. The, the difference for millennials is that there was social media to allow us to click on videos and be like, yeah, those are the millennials. And so I don't know that it's helpful for an organization to say there's no good talent out there because if you believe that, then how does that force you to act? Well, then you're going to act a certain way in your recruiting efforts or in your onboarding, which then makes the people who you're acting upon have a belief about you that you don't care, that you think this is a short-term thing. So then they act a certain way. And that cycle of like millennials are entitled or whoever's entitled doesn't stop because it's a vicious circle of incorrect default thinking or beliefs, which causes you to act a certain way and then you get into this loop. And so that's that's why this is helpful. So you said something where you, uh, before, and I want to just clarify what you meant by it. You said um, you, you f- feel that uh, the improv thinking is helpful because it helps, you know, what you try to do is help to show people the default thinking is wrong. And I just want to clarify, do you mean that the default thinking is always wrong, which I don't think is what you mean, or do you mean that it is an impediment to being able to see things in a new way, which could actually provide you with options. Yeah, I would say, I would say probably the default thinking is often not completely correct. So I would say it is often wrong. Um, and so it can be an impediment to finding a way forward. So yes, that's a good cleanup. Thank you, dear friend, for <laughs> helping me communicate more clearly what I Yeah, asked. absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I, I kind of, uh, I, I thought I understood what you meant there because I, I think to your point, uh, if the default thinking is wrong, we'd be getting eaten by those lions, of course. Uh, so sometimes the default thinking is obviously helpful, but being able to think something new is is obviously going to be helpful. But uh, another thought that I had, um, you know, you and I have connected over public speaking. That's where we met. That's how we, you know, it's kind of the circles we run in. Um, and a lot of what we talk about, you know, improv aside is practice and knowing your material and knowing your blocking and all the different things to be a better presenter. And for the executive who's trying to go into a meeting and be prepared, isn't improv introducing a little bit of an element of chaos (laughs) into what would otherwise be a well-oiled, well-rehearsed presentation? So talk to me a little bit about how improv introducing that chaotic uh, uh, sort of element is helpful. Yeah. So so I think there's three kind of pieces there to unpack. The first is that rehearsing makes sure that you're really comfortable with your content. So if you are a public speaker or you're giving a town hall address to your company, which is, you know, that's whatever people love to do that these days, the rehearsal process for the executive or for the the speaker or for, you know, even just someone giving a presentation, there was someone I was talking to yesterday who was giving a present. She she got promoted from one job to another department, and she was giving a presentation to the department she was leaving about how she had been successful and some tips for them and was super nervous about it. And the idea there is that you nail your content, you rehearse your content so that in the moment you can really connect with the audience to say, are they getting this? Is this making sense? If something goes wrong, I know my content so well that I can... I can make another choice and help the situation. So rehearsing is helpful in those situations because it allows you to know your stuff so well 
that you can just kind of ride the wave of what might happen live, which takes me to my second point, which is you don't know what's going to happen when you go live. And so if you don't have some skills to think about, well, when I go to present this to the board, I don't know what they're going to ask. I can prepare some sound bites for what they might ask, but I don't know what they're going to ask. I don't know which piece of my communication they might uh, pick up on and say, wait a second, let's go back. That was interesting what you just said. Is that what you mean? Kind of like what you did just a minute ago to say, wait, let's go back. Is that what you meant or is that not what you meant? And so that's the second part. One is being rehearsed allows you to deal with whatever happens. The second is to say something's going to happen. You're going to, you know, in, in the professional speaking world, you might end up with less time. You had 60 minutes and someone went over and now you've got 45 minutes. Something might happen on stage. There might be a tech issue. And so being able to adjust to that is really helpful. And if you don't know your stuff, then you're going to be thrown off. In a board meeting, they might ask you a question in a, in a town hall. You don't know what the employees are going to ask. So the third thing there is to say, if rehearsing is helpful and if I know that everything might go wrong and I need to be prepared for that, how do I prepare? And that's where the improvisational kind of tenets come in. And the first one of improv, if anyone's ever uh, seen improv or heard Tina Fey or Amy Poehler on a late night talk show, they will know that the first two, two rules or the first sentence of improv is to say yes and, to always agree, and then to build a bridge with and to contribute something to the idea. And so that's where improv comes in is to help you figure out a framework or a, um, not even a framework, just figure out like a a couple of ideas of what might help you connect with what's really going on and build a bridge to where you want things to go. Awesome. Can you do me a favor and talk a little bit about yes and? Because I think in the context of purely uh, improv theater, yes and makes sense because it helps to build the performance and it doesn't shut down what previously happened and doesn't get the the actors kind of fighting with one another. How does that translate over into the world of business using yes and in team dynamics? Yeah, so so it changes a little bit, right? Because if the team says, "Hey, we want to we want to you know sell the building and move to move to." I don't know, some island, uh, maybe you can't say yes to that. And so I, I know that when I say this, you know, if I'm on stage and I say this or I'm working with a, a leadership team and I say, oh, you should say yes and, it's like, wait a second, I can't say yes to everything. That's the, the uh, we want a two-day work week. Uh, yeah, I can't let, them, can't let them do that. So the idea of yes and in business is about agreeing with the fact that that's the reality for the person. So saying yes is not about saying, yes, you can do that. It's saying, yes, I hear you. Yes, that is your place there. If you think about meetings, which, you know, <laughs> I don't know who wants to think about meetings, but if you think about meetings, don't think about it too long. You might have nightmares. But if you think about meetings, um, and this one is the one I, I can see when I'm, when I'm on stage and I'm speaking or I'm in a workshop, this is the one I see everybody look at each other and do the like, uh-huh, I know he knows um, moment. When I say, how often do you go to meetings and it's just a series of people not listening to each other and just trying to push their own agenda forward and nobody's actually hearing what the other people are saying. And so there isn't a lot of, a lot of ideation because nobody speaks up because it's like, well, you know, we're all just going to say no to each other. So in the idea of that context, saying yes is not about agreeing to do something. It's about saying, yes, I hear you. Yes, I agree that that's your reality. Um, and yes, I see that you want to do that. In the business context, then the and becomes contribution. So when I teach this, I teach that the first two rules are to agree and to contribute, which is agree is yes and contribute is and. So in the business con in in a theater concept, it would be if you said, "Hey, I'm your I'm your best friend," <laughs> and I said, and I said yes, and I can't believe that we have the same middle name. 
<laughs> and then it becomes a scene about these two weirdos, you know, figuring out their middle name and figuring out all the things that are identical about them and who knows where it goes. Mm -hmm. In a business setting, saying and is about building a bridge. It's about saying, how can I connect what you're saying to another idea? How could we keep heightening this? Um, and so let's say that somebody said, hey, we should do our we should do our conference in the summer this year because people love to travel to Los Angeles in the summer and we would get more people showing up because they would like that. Yes, we could do it in, in the summer and we could uh, include pre-events that would allow people to have experiential learning in LA. And then if we do that through a whole series of things, we might end up that the conference is in December in New York because people want to go see the Rockettes or something. The idea isn't that we're saying yes to that and we must create something from it. It's saying, that's interesting. I hear what you're saying. And I wonder what would happen if we kept heightening it. And you often get to a place that is entirely different than before. The default thing we do, we, what we see is two things in, in business. People either communicate. I rarely see yes and uh, before people meet me. I rarely see that in meetings. When I watch meetings, I like to be like an anthropologist or uh, I guess they're, I guess anthropology is people that aren't here anymore. So maybe a sociologist is that, I think sociologist That's is probably better. more accurate. These are living people. Although so I, I live, I live in LA in a place that used to be like burial grounds. So sometimes I see, I see dead people. Um, and they're interesting to study as well. And so the, the, what I see is rarely do I see yes. And I see a lot of yes, but, and that's usually in a team where they're like, I don't want anyone to think I'm rude. So I'm going to say yes, but we can't do any of that because of these reasons. And then that shuts down ideation. It shuts down creativity. It often shuts down finding a solution to something because it's like, yes, that's interesting what you're saying, but we can't do it for all these reasons. And now we're back to the drawing board. with like, well, we don't have anything because I said something and you said yes, but then you said why we can't do it. So now there's nothing on the whiteboard again. Versus and you shut that person it, down. You shut them down. And then everyone else in the room is like, well, I ain't saying anything either because nobody's listening versus what if you just got all this stuff out and then you said, OK, what is this? What could we do here? So I either hear yes, but or I hear um, no and. And so no and is when people are actually not worried about being nice to each other. They're like, I don't care if you'd like me or not. The the yes, but is kind of manipulative insincerity. The no and is just, you know, a toxic place where people don't like each other. And so the no and is about, no, we're not doing that. And here's all the reasons why you're wrong. Um, those are the things I usually see when I watch yeah. people interact in a company. Yeah, it, it's funny. It almost sounds like improvisational brainstorming. So it, <laughs> it's what allows you to kind of open up the channel to flow everything out is by removing the the kind of barriers that stop new thoughts from coming into the space. We use in um, in customer service when we're advising our clients on customer service matters, we do something that's kind of a similar paradigm. And I got this from Chris Brogan. I think he was the first person ever said it that I heard. Uh, but he talks about using the three A's in customer service, acknowledge, apologize, and act. So that's sort of like the acknowledge is the yes. The apologize is, you know, that and the act are, are part of the and. You know, that's your contribution is, uh, I'm sorry, and here's what we're going to do about it. Um, and, and I've always found that in any sort of customer service situation, that's better than just jumping right to no and let me defend myself or <laughs> yes, but here's why we can't help you or anything like that. So it's always about working with them towards that kind of common solution. So I really – I dig the framework. Totally. And it's actually – that's where I first – that's where I first got the connection. I was – I was um working at a, at a sandwich place that, it, you know, I started there when they had seven locations and I stuck around till about 200 eventually became, uh, was running training for, for all of the locations and, and all the openings and things. And I realized that, 
you know, we were teaching customer service to these people, you know, working in the sandwich shop and it dawned on me. And at the same time, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, doing my work at second city and improv Olympic and, and places in, in Chicago. And I realized, Oh, wait a second. Yes. And is essentially great customer service. It's about agreeing that, whatever the person is upset about and really customer service recovery was right where, where I figured it out. It was like, Oh, this is about acknowledging that the other person is upset or agreeing that like, Hey, I, I hear you. I see you. That's, that's a reason to be upset. If I felt the way you did, I'd be upset too. And then finding a bridge to say, what can we do? Because I had a lot of people that were like, well, I can't just do what the customer wants. I understand that the customer's always right, but sometimes they're not. And what I always say is, sure, but the customer's always the customer. And so there has to be a way that you can use agreement and contribution to build a bridge to something they do want. And and I found people really responded to that because they didn't have to. There's this idea in the service industry that you have to give up being a human, that you have to kind of be like, well, I'm just going to always be so damn happy about whatever ridiculous thing you're saying. And I just, I don't think that's realistic. And I think that's why it falls apart sometimes and people give bad services because it becomes somewhat abusive. And so for me, the idea of yes and or agree and contribute allows me as a service provider to maintain some, some, respect for myself while also still recognizing that you're the customer, that you're upset, and there is probably something I can do to work to solve that with you. I love it. I love it. Um, what do you think about going through some kind of specific examples? I, I have just a couple like kind of um, uh, like random examples that I figured I'd throw your way and, and see kind of how you approach them, how you start with them, how you walk people through the process, uh, and kind of what you would do in that situation to use the art of improv to help correct these situations. I love it. You know what I just thought? Maybe I shouldn't say it because I should nah, go by the, by the website first. I should call this IQ, Improv Quotient. How fun is that? Caroline, go by the domain. <laughs> I know, right? That's I love right. that it's a podcast and it's not live. It gives yeah. me like a couple of days yeah. to go figure it out. Yeah, and I wouldn't do that to you because we're best friends. We're best friends. We know each other's <laughs> middle names and suitcase brands. So um, – I guess, you know, we've somewhat covered this, but I just I want to make sure that we we reiterate it for those listening because these are our master class series. Um, but uh, a couple of the examples when I give them, I, I think start out with, if you could, kind of what's the worst thing that you could do instead <laughs> of doing what you're about to go through and suggest? Like what's the worst thing you could do in this situation? What's a mistake you might make uh, going into a situation? So the first scenario I want to paint for you is let's imagine a company with a really awful company culture. And that company culture is just toxic in the sense that people don't feel motivated when they come to work. And the reasons that might be behind it are things like high turnover or maybe they feel like their manager or boss doesn't listen to them. Um, and, and they just feel like the communication is broken down and there's not a lot of trust between them and their leadership and their leadership and them. What are some of the – first, what's the, the worst thing that the leader can do to try and correct this? And then kind of walk me through what your process might be to fix it. Sure. I, I think the worst thing to correct it is to to believe that um, that the uh, it's so funny. I one of my one of my kind of gurus of my life is is this guy named Ari Weinzweig who uh, started a company in Ann Arbor called Zingerman's, and he's like this Sherpa of like great great leadership ideas and and creating cool companies. And one of the things he said uh, in one of his books was the issue often is that we want to buy a new mirror. If the, if the company is a reflection of the leaders, then often when things are going wrong is we think, let's buy a new mirror. So in this case, the worst thing you could do is uh, blame everyone else for it. If there's a group of people leaving the company actively who are, who are great and that you want to keep, 
if the people in the company are unhappy and disengaged and not into it, it is not the fault of 100 employees. Uh, they're not the common denominator here. There's something else going on. And so the worst thing that you could do is to blame them for it and to say, if only I could get good people. And that is the most common thing I actually see happen is that people say, well, it's these these damn people these days. Nobody has work ethic. Nobody cares. They all want to Snapchat filter their work life and none of them care. So the worst thing you could do is blame the employees and then start looking for um, looking for a better mirror, which is essentially saying, I can go hire more creative people. I can go hire more customer service friendly people because the people you hired were probably that way when they got there and you ruined them. So that's the worst thing you could do is blame them. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, that, that perfectly mirrors what, what we would suggest. And, and we often have, you know, working in the world of social media, we've been asked, you know, well, can you just run some Facebook ads or can you just do this <laughs> or that? And it's like, well, social media is really just exposing what is your customers are going to tell you what they really think your employees are going to go and talk about what they really feel and if that is negative that's not a problem with your social media it's not a problem with you know the fact that glassdoor or yelp exist it's a problem with the fact that what it's showing people is that something's broken yeah yep all right solid so where would you start to go to work then if you were to work with uh, a company like this uh, where would be some of the places that you would start? How would you go about your process of trying to figure out where improv might be needed or where even you would go to work to fix these problems? Yeah, so the the first thing you've got to do, and I, and I think it's often the challenge, is, is really listen. And so that goes to that whole agree um, agree step. And there's there's kind of four four steps that I think about, and they don't have to be in order and you don't have to do all of them. But it's, you know, agree contribute is the second one. So that's the yes. And the third one is to be obvious. And the fourth one is to use everything. So in this case, I would go try to find ways to agree. And so I would go and say, where can we go and listen? Um, I would do, you know, do some sessions to really understand what's going on. And the, the challenge that people have often is they do something like an employee opinion survey and they say, you know, tell us, how do you feel about work? And what inspires you? And then you get the data back and you're like, I don't know what to do with this because they said, I don't feel my manager cares about me, but I don't know what would make them feel like they did care about them. I, I feel like I'm trying to do that. So I think that what, what the first step is, is to go find ways to agree. And remember, agreement is just about saying, I heard you and I get that that's your reality. So the first step would be going and listening to people, asking people very specific questions about how things are communicated, how decisions are made, um, the, cause the issue with engagement and, and this is, you know, for me, classic engagement issue that you described, the issue with engagement is not that they need to be engaged. It's that you need to be engaging to them. It's like going to see a concert and saying, well, that audience really sucked. And it's like, no, you probably sucked. Like you weren't engaging. You weren't interesting. You couldn't hit the notes. You didn't talk to them. That's your issue that they weren't engaged. And so the first place to go is to go and say, where do people not feel, where do the employees not feel listened to? And sometimes there's fun like theater activities that you can do to explore that. So you can get a group of people together and say, hey, let's let's do some let's just do some fun activities around um, how things are communicated. Let's do some real life versions of like a new product is rolling out or a new new system is happening. Let's do a scene based on like how would that normally look? And you don't have the leaders in the room because you don't want people to edit themselves for fear of losing their jobs. So you do that. And, and what's interesting often is you you see really quickly what people's perspective is because they'll do you know, you get them, you get them warmed up to do little skits or little scenes or little role plays. And you see, oh, you guys aren't finding out about changes until after they happen. Oh, 
you don't think that you have any input into product decisions. So you're out there selling the product and nobody's listening to you on the other end about what customers are actually telling you. You're on the front lines with real face-to-face customer information and nobody's validating that. People are making decisions in an office and never actually listening to customers and you have all this great data. And so those little scenes for me are often very telling because they become the things to fix. What, what I find an issue is that when people hire someone to help them with culture, it's not about coming in and saying, here's a culture model, let's go through and, and put it all in place. I think it's about saying what's actually broken here and let's talk about fixing that because I think you make culture better in specific, not in general. So where I typically would start there, and the thing you described is all about communication, um, turnover, not listening, not feeling trust, typically goes to communication. And so those scenes usually tell me a lot about what needs to happen. The next thing would then be to actually share the information and say, here's what I've heard. This is what I'm seeing. And then I would contribute to it. So I would, I would say yes, and I would agree with the people who are giving me information and say that's their reality, whether it is the reality or not, that's what they see going on. And then I would contribute to it by saying, okay, so let's summarize this. Let's create a, a narrative about what's happening. And then be obvious is the third step. And so I'd be super clear about this is what I heard and this is what I think could happen to solve it. And then I would use everything. And so the fourth step of that is to use everything, which is about what, what's available to us to work on fixing this? How does the how does the group meet? How do they share information? And so I tend to get very specific. Sometimes people want like, hey, come in and rewrite our values or rewrite our mission statement. And it's like, that doesn't matter until it matters. And until we can figure out ways for you to communicate and listen and get things live, nobody cares about your mission statement. So that's how I would fix that. Let me ask you this, because I, I, I think the model that's, it's, it, resonates 100%. Let me ask you a question, though, that um, I want to see how you deal with it. You've done this before. Have you ever had a situation where you go in and you try to meet with the team without the leaders there and everything, and you get pushed back on even doing the exercise? This is dumb. This is going to make a difference or whatever. What do you do when you meet with a team that seems to have no hope or that they just don't feel that you know, there, there are different types of people in business, right? Like you clearly care about communication and how people feel at work and this and that. And there's a group of people that go to work that actually just want to collect their paycheck and go home and they don't believe in any of this, you know, touchy-feely kumbaya type stuff as they would call it. What do you do in situations like that? How do you use either your improv training or, or have you found a way to troubleshoot around people that are just resistant to this? Yeah, so, so two things. I actually – I understand uh, the idea that people just want to come in and get a check. I actually think that, that yeah, people don't want to hold hands and dance in a circle or they don't want to be like, I'm going to be a giraffe and walk around the office today. But I, I actually Speak do think – Speak for yourself, best friend. <laughs> <laughs> there we, we found that I, I don't want to be the giraffe. I want to be the lion, remember? Um, so you should know that by now, um, <laughs> after all these years, after all these years of playing giraffe and that sounds like a weird, like, sounds like this. a weird thing. Cut this part. Yeah. Cut this, part yeah. this is where it got like HBO late night. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, I think the reality is that those people do want to be more engaged and that the reason that they're like, I'm just coming in to get my check and leaving is because there isn't anything engaging them. So they're like, I don't care about this. Um, I actually, I actually don't think that most people go and spend a significant amount of their life saying, I don't care about any of this. I do think there's different levels of what I want to get from it. So there might be somebody who says, Hey, I am, I want to write a book about this someday. I want to do a podcast about my life. I want to do all of those things. And there might be other people who say, I want to come to work 
and I want to do great work when I'm here. I want to have real genuine connections with people. I want to sell stuff or HR stuff or recruit stuff or finance stuff, whatever my job is. And then I want to go home and I want to have my life. But I, I, I don't believe that people come to work and say, I hope these eight hours of my day, I don't do anything interesting. I, I don't believe that. I think that happens to them through really poor organizational design and really bad leadership. So in the case that you described, I would never walk in. I would never walk in and say, hey, this sales team is really disengaged and you know they don't care about anything. Uh, Mike's here. Let's play games, kids. I, I probably wouldn't start there. <laughs> Um, and I often can't start there because people are really, really resistant. That's the other thing that's different about me than, than maybe going to one of the improv schools and saying, hey, can you come do team building? They're going to do team building the same way they do work with actors, which is different because an actor comes into an improv school to play the games. So, you know, a manager hires an improv teacher to come in. And they immediately start games. It's like these employees didn't sign up for this shit. Like they did not say, let's let's do our let's do names and wiggle our booty and see what happens. Like they didn't sign up for that. So you have to find an easier way in. And so in the case of of a team that's really disengaged and rolling their eyes, I would acknowledge that. I would I would agree with that. I would say, hey, I can tell that you are super not into this. And so let's talk about why that is. Like what's going on? And you know that's where I get to play like. You know, I really love I really loved Law and Order, so I get to I get to be Olivia Benson for a little while and play detective. And and sometimes it's about getting conversation going in a way that's positive, and so, or in a way that's um not even positive, productive is what I mean. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, I would say, here's what I want to do. I just want I want you to, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some time, and I want you on on these post-it notes to write. You know, if I know that the issue is the way that the leadership team is communicating because they told me that, or I know that the team, usually the leaders tell me it's something broken with the people. And so I say, oh, sure, that makes sense. Uh, and then I know that it's typically something between the relationship between the managers and employees. So what I'll often do is I'll start with this start, stop, keep activity. And I'll say, you know, you've got three post-it notes in front of you. One is yellow, one is red, and one is purple. On the yellow one, I want you to write what you wish the company or the leaders in the company or your manager would start doing. What would you like more of? What would you like um, something new? How do you think they could do something that, that would be helpful to start doing? The second one, the red one, would be what do you wish they would stop doing? So what's currently happening that you're like, this is, this is a buzzkill. we got to stop it. And then what's, work, what's working? On the purple one, we would write, what would you like to keep? I'd make everyone write those things down, post them up on a, on a whiteboard or a wall, and then review them. And so, so it's kind of, this is the way I do brainstorming is I think brainstorming by saying, Hey, everybody share your best idea publicly in front of everyone. They're, they're <laughs> going to judge you and laugh at you is a really bad way to get the best ideas on the table. Cause you need a whole bunch of shitty ideas first. You need a lot of shitty ideas before you could say, wow, there's something interesting here. And so what I would do is I would get everybody's commitment up on the wall. And then I would say, great, let's go through these. And then I would have them go around and either circle or star or put a little sticker on the ones they agree with. And then we say, okay, great. So we've got some notes here. Now let's talk about what this looks like. So you said here that changes are communicated after the fact and often at the same time that the public or your customers are finding out about them. What does that actually look like? Let's see, let's, let's role play that. And you get them into it slowly. That's, that's really the trick there. Got it. Got it. Got to warm them up a bit. All right. Well, I appreciate you going through that particular example. I love the start, stop, keep. I'm keeping that. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, I want to ask you about one more scenario, and then, uh, friend, you are free to go. But I, I want to ask you about one more improv scenario about how you deal with it. And it's from a completely different perspective. So the first one was about a company culture that needed help, a lot of leadership communication issues. The second one I want to talk about is how as a leader can you use improv to communicate that a an employee is performing poorly um, and, and do it in such a way where the, the goal is obviously not to get rid of them but to actually make them better? Uh, sure. and, to, and to get them what they need or, or however, you know, facilitates the best outcome. How would you deal with that? How, well, let's start with first, what's the worst thing you can do? And then again, let's talk about what, you know, step-by-step step you would go through and do. Yeah. The worst thing you could do is ignore it. And that's actually the thing I see happen most often. The The issue that I find with most, most leaders in that situation is that they don't actually deal with the issue. They let it go and go and go, and then they get mad at someone and they fire them or they stop giving them interesting projects. And then the person leaves or, or they don't leave and they stick around and just don't add value. And, and they feel conflicted and lost and the manager's annoyed. So the worst thing you can do is actually ignore it. I'd prefer that if you're going to, if it, even if you don't know how to do it and you're just going to be a jerk, at least address the issue and put it on the table so the person knows what's going on. The, the number one thing I see happening is that people ignore it and that's the worst thing to do. Okay. Okay. Um, I think it's, I think it's really rude. I think it's really, I don't know, rude is the right word. I feel like Michelle Tanner, how rude. <laughs> um, I, I think it's the worst thing to do because you have information that might be helpful to this person and how dare you keep that information and not give it to them. And so, so ignoring it is the worst thing. So the, the, you know, my, my improv approach to it would be leaning into storytelling a little bit. So the, when you're creating a scene in an, in a theater, you're always kind of working towards some story. When I work with companies around their vision or their mission, I kind of help them stop using flowery, flowery words that don't mean anything to people and get really specific and talk about what does this look like? I call it future story where we work on vision and it's like, let's describe it as if we're like watching a movie of it happening and what's going on. How are people dealing with each other? What's it look like here? What kinds of things are we selling? How are we known? Um, how do, how do we deal with conflict and what do we, what are we arguing about these days? And so I would, I would start there with the performance of the person. You've got to agree that something's going on. And so you sit down or, or you ahead of time say, Hey, you know, Hey Joan, I love Joan. Joan's a great name. Hey Joan. I, I think Joan has a great uh, mom, Bob, too. So <laughs> she's got good hair. Um, so I would say, you know, you reach out to Joan and say, hey, Joan, I want to talk about um, this specific thing. And so whether it's some goal that isn't being met or whether it's some, you know, production number or meetings aren't going well, you've got to find a way to to get it on the table. And so my easy way to do that is to acknowledge the fact that you care about this person so saying to Joan, hey, Joan, I know that you really care a lot about how your coworkers, um, what your coworkers think about you. I know that's important to you. We've talked about that in the past. You want to show that like I get you and I care about you. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to share some feedback with you that often during meetings, um, I think people feel that you're not listening to them. So I'd like to have a conversation to explore that a little bit. So I've acknowledged the fact that like, hey, I know you, I see you, you're a human and I'm on your side which is why I need to give you some feedback that that little, I don't have to give people scripts, but that little piece in the middle is very important. Joan, I know you really care a lot about how your coworkers feel about you and about collaborating with them. I've heard you say that before, that that's something you really want to work on and want to be great at, which is why that's the key. The phrase that pays um, is, which is why I wanted to share some notes with you from the last meeting is now a good time for us to talk about that. 
then what I would do is get it on the table, talk about it, and then agree on a future story. So the future story is the vision. So what would it look like if this was going well? With a lot of specificity, that's where the be obvious um, the be obvious note in my, you know, kind of improv for business framework, that's where that comes in. Let's be really clear about what great looks like. And then let's explore some little tricks and tips to help you do that. And then let's check back in. You have a meeting next week that I'm in. Let's check back in after the meeting. I'm going to put 10 minutes for us just to check in with each other and see how it went. That's what I would do there. Excellent. There's so much good stuff there. Um, there are some concepts that um, – um, so I'm writing a book on leadership called The Lovable Leader uh, due out <laughs> hopefully sometime next year. Uh, but some of the concepts that I talk about, one of which is called sitting on the same side of the table. So what you're doing there in that beginning thing is you're basically saying, hey, we agree on this. We're both trying to get to this common goal in the future. So you're talking on the same side of the table with them as opposed to kind of sitting on the other side kind of uh, from high on top of the mountain like shouting down at them about what they did wrong. So I love that you did that. The, the other thing is that I love how you set up their listening in the beginning. You kind of sat down with them and, and kind of tried to get a buy-in with them to get them to kind of agree with you so that they're not on the defensive, but they see that you're on the same team working towards things. And I think that those are two really great tactics that you use there. Yeah. You know what's funny is is the the whole same side of the table, I actually like – that's actually part of what I advise people to do physically is like physically sit on the same side of the table. When I see people doing one-on-one -on -one or coaching sessions and they've got laptops in between them at a table, I was like, think about the scenes in your life where you see that situation. Where do you see people on opposite sides of the table with information in front of them that they're going to share with each other? Courtrooms, mediation rooms, divorce court, interrogations. Like there's no positive places where you're like, Lots of great things have happened from opposite sides of the table with laptops in between us. We've solved a lot of problems together. So the actual physical physical side of that, you know, in theater, we talk about blocking. Where are you actually on stage when it happens? And I think that matters more in our work than we think it does. And so I actually advise people to physically sit on the same side of the table and uh, because it, it says a lot. So so not only figuratively, as if as you're saying, uh, the lovable leader would do, but physically sit on the same side of the table as you're presenting information really changes the dynamic because all of the all of the kind of like scenes we have in our head of what happens across the table staring at each other with information in between us, those are usually not good scenes. I love it. The this has been such a chock full of awesome information episode. I'm really glad that you uh, you uh, you made time in your schedule to come and hang out with us. I know you know since we're such close friends, it was probably no skin off your back, but um, it's no big deal. <laughs> so um, you know, I uh, I want to give you the, a chance at, uh, at this point in the show to just tell people about you, about where they can find out more information about you, where they can work with you, where they can listen to your. Uh, information if you're on other podcasts or if you do your own or uh, read your blog or find out, get early notice about your book. Just, you know, this is your time in the show. Go nuts. Tell people about you. Oh, I love it. If you too would like to become my best friend, <laughs> the best way to do so is to go like all of my social media thing. No, um, that, that will, I will like you a lot though. So you could do that. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm Mike Ganino everywhere. Ganino is G A N I N O. I'm Mike Ganino everywhere. I think if you Google that, I'm the Mike Ganino that pops up, but, uh, Mike is the home base, uh, at Mike Ganino is the, I don't know what that's called. It's the other places I am, <laughs> the, the spokes of the hub, if you will. And uh, I'm pretty easy to find in all those places, and I love to talk to people. If you go to uh, MikeAnino.com, you can connect with me there, and then I'll send you a little note and say, hey, what's up? What's going on in your life? And people usually email me back and say, oh, this is happening 
with my company and then I send them an idea or a blog or something and say, hey, this might be cool for you. And I do that all personally. So there's not some bot. I'm not that sophisticated. It's just it's just me sending notes. Uh, so yeah, just go to MikeGanino.com and you can find out more. And if you go to the iTunes store and just type in Mike Ganino, there's a, a slew of podcasts where I've shared random interesting tips from the road. So <laughs> that's how I'd love to stay in touch. And, and if you're listening and you want to talk about your issues, uh, I would love to be your improv therapist. Uh, one, stealing that. Uh, the whole, <laughs> hi, tell me about a thing and I'll send you some ideas because, I mean, I love doing that, so that's great. Uh, two, you've been a fantastic uh, guest on our show and I really appreciate you coming on. Um, so thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Anything <laughs> for my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Jeffrey Allen Gibbard and Caroline Elizabeth Tissone. Along with Michael Improv Ganino. Do you go by Michael or Mike? It's always Mike, right? It's always Mike. Yeah, yeah. I never like only my fiance calls me Jeffrey, and when anybody else says it, I feel really awful. But um, never, you know, what's so funny. I've been working with uh, Michael and Amy Port so long that when someone says Michael, I just assume they're talking about him. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, well, I, I think this episode was fantastic, and if I had to characterize it in just one word, Caroline, what do you think I would say? Hmm. What would this I call is it? a tough one, hmm. but I think it might be shareable. There are a couple thank yous and shout outs in order. First, thank you to Ray Bueno for all of that sexy production value, and a quick thank you to me for producing the show. I'd like to send a shout-out to DJ Quads for the use of our theme song, Always, and A. Himitsu for the use of our outro song, Adventures. You can follow Jeff on Twitter, at jgibbard, and you can follow me, at Caroline Tassone. You can follow the show, at shareable underscore pod, and just shareable podcast on everything else. That's Facebook, the gram, everything. You can email us at sharablepodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to our email list at sharablepodcast.com slash subscribe. Do all the things. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating. Review us on iTunes. Tell a friend. Tell your mom. I don't know. She might like it. My mom does. Hey, mom. <laughs>